What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. And it's another day of Cardinals hot stove talk as the winter meetings trudged forward. We had some year excitement on Tuesday, didn't we? With the John Heyman tweet heard around the world. I did not have Arson Judge signing... uh, as a free agent today with the Giants, but that's what Heyman had. Then, of course, he deleted that tweet, not because of the typo necessarily, but because, well, he jumped the gun on the information. As of this recording, Aaron Judge is still a free agent. And in fact, the Giants later on Tuesday evening reportedly signed Mitch Haniger to a three-year, $43 million contract. So I don't know if that takes them out of the Judge sweepstakes. I believe Haniger also plays right field. No, he's an outfielder. So that's a weird situation all around because it really seemed like the momentum was building toward Aaron Judge and the Giants earlier this afternoon. And now I have no idea what's going on there. Don't expect the Cardinals to be in the Aaron Judge sweepstakes, of course. He'll probably end up going back to New York, if not the Giants. I don't know. We'll see. But we do have plenty of Cardinals talk to get into tonight because, well, the catcher market seems to be heating up. And we've known for a while now that this is where the Cardinals have focused their energy primarily. They want an everyday catcher. They're replacing Yadier Molina, but they want to upgrade offensively from what Yadier Molina and Andrew Kisner combined to give the team this past season. Cardinals had an OPS from the catcher position of 552. It was 28th in Major League Baseball. And so even without the retirement of Yadier Molina, the production they were getting, including him, was rough. Now, obviously, they weren't going to do anything to jettison Yadier Molina. They were just kind of getting to the end of the career. He knew it was time. They knew it was time. And they got to celebrate in the way that they wanted to. He went out on those terms. Wasn't a perfect season, but it happened. And now the Cardinals can move on, and they can try and come up with a long-term solution at catcher if they want to do that. The trade market, the free agent market, lots of different possibilities for the way the Cardinals could go with this. This evening for KMOV, I wrote an article ranking the candidates in the Cardinals' pursuit of a new catcher. You can check that out at KMOV.com slash sports. But I decided that I might as well get into it in a little bit more detail, expand on that article here in a podcast. So I'm going to give you my list. I made a top five list of the catcher options that the Cardinals should be considering here. Try to keep it a blend of like realism based on what we know, based on rumors and reports that guys that are actually in play. Uh, But then within that, I sort of made my own personal ranking of the priorities, the way I would prioritize that list. And so tonight's episode, we're going to talk a lot about the catcher situation because it seems like the Cardinals may find their answer within the next 24 hours. The winter meetings wrap up, I think, on Wednesday. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, it's all pointless, which is why I swear tonight I really don't want to go super-duper long into it because I know that it's possible 12 hours from now that this podcast is obsolete. So I'll try to at least be entertaining, and maybe you're sitting there knowing uh, what the Cardinals ultimately ended up doing, but you're listening anyway. So I appreciate you guys for being here, for sticking with me. Make sure to subscribe to Be Shaped Daily, by the way, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to Be Shaped Daily. And if you'd like to support the show, you like what I'm doing here, and you want me to make money off of it, that means a lot to me. Patreon.com slash for 12 is the place to go to support me and to support Beast Shave Daily. So 
I want to get into that, and then I'm going to talk a little bit, if I have time, about the notion of do the Cardinals need pitching, starting pitching. Because when I'm tweeting and, and getting into the mud with everybody on Twitter about what's going on with the Cardinals and what I think they should do and what y'all think they should do, I'm getting a lot of replies that are talking about the starting pitching. Well, I don't want to see them do this or that. I want to see them get pitching. They need to sign a pitcher. Carlos Rodon, which, by the way, Carlos Rodon would be great. He's a great pitcher. Would be an awesome option. Would give the Cardinals a strikeout option that they don't really have. But I want to talk about, like, the fact that I simultaneously agree with everybody saying pitching, 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 but also the complications behind that and, like, what needs to happen, in my opinion, before the Cardinals would go into that market or what would need to happen in the aftermath of them doing so, and they'd have to be pretty confident that they'd be able to pull it off. So those are kind of the two topics we're going to focus on, the battery. We're, t- we're going to start with the catcher, and then we're going to have a little bit of a discussion on pitching, uh, which maybe I'll, I'll save the more in-depth talk on that for later in the week once we know – which way the wind is going to blow on this catcher thing. But John Mozalak seemed pretty confident in, in the reports that I've read from the Woodard meetings. And once again, if you haven't listened to recent B-Shaped Daily episodes, you should go back on your podcast feed and do so. But I am not at the winter meetings in San Diego. I'm here at home with a newborn baby. Well, he's three months old now, not newborn anymore. But this wasn't going to be the year for me to make it to sunny California. So maybe next year's winter meeting, I'll get back on the on the horse for that. But As of now, I'm just sort of uh, reading along with the rest of you and then trying to offer my informed speculation without actually having boots on the ground there. So the catcher situation, John Mozalak has said to the media out there, as it's been reported, like seems like he had a level of confidence that they were going to get this done within the next week or so, like during this week at at the winter meetings. Jeff Jones, I saw they had their powwow with Mozalak Tuesday evening. Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat, he tweeted out, that maybe a little bit of a decline in terms of the confidence level from Mosellock that it was going to get done while they're out there in San Diego. They wanted to leave with the catcher situation resolved. Still thinks that's going to be the possibility, the probability, but maybe the confidence has wavered a little bit on that for Mosellock with where he started at the beginning of the week. And I'll speculate as to why that is. I'm going to go through this list, and then I'm going to get into what I think is actually going to happen and the reasons for that, which, again, is just informed speculation based on uh, me reading along with all y'all What's going on from the people that are actually out there talking to John Mozilla? Because I'm not doing that this week. So here's my list. Let's start here. I'm going five through one. I've got five options. And I'll explain each of the options and why they are where they are on the list. And then we'll get into uh, some of the, the elements of realism as to what could actually take place here for the Cardinals. So number five on my list, I'm going to work backwards, five to one. Five meaning uh, my personal ranking has this guy as uh, the lowest of the preferred options of the five, it's Wilson Contreras. That'd be my last option of the five, which is not to say he's a bad option, but in terms of what I would prefer to see the Cardinals do in which direction I think it makes the most, the most sense to go, he would be number five on my list out of five candidates. And the reason for that is I went into some different detail than I'll, than I'll do here on, on the article at KMOV, KMOV.com slash sports. I'm looking at Wilson Contreras, and I see it as sort of the one-size-fits-all option for the needs that the Cardinals have this offseason. And because he's close enough to fitting each of the boxes and checking them off, the Cardinals might just be willing to say, all right, screw it, let's just do it. It's it's the, the simplest route between point A and point B. We're just going to suck it up and do it, and we're going to pay the free agent. We've heard the Cardinals, or at least it's been reported, and this is reality because as as folks who have followed the Cardinals for years, you guys know this. The Cardinals have not had success when it comes to their free agent pursuits in that when they sign guys, it hasn't always worked out. 
Mike Leake, Dexter Fowler, Brett Cecil contract comes to mind. These multi-year contracts, and even you could look at some of the shorter ones, like a Corey Dickerson, who didn't have a great year, not, uh, you know, absolutely an albatross or anything, five million bucks. It's nothing. Same thing with Greg Holland, right? I brought that up on Twitter earlier today, $14 million. We could talk about that. I brought that up on Twitter in the context of the Cody Bellinger signing. He's with the Cubs now, signed a one-year deal worth $17.5 million. And I, my response to that was great deal by the Cubs. That is exactly the kind of high upside, low risk move a team like the Cubs should be making. And really, I think it would have been a, a boost for any team because even though Cody Bellinger was like one of the worst offensive players in baseball last year and for the past three years has been, you know, basically a, a, a bum offensively uh, after being a former MVP, he's just fallen off precipitously. I like the move because... Well, he's been in Oklahoma working with Matt Holliday, trying to remake his swing. The video evidence, very scarce, but like there's a video floating around Twitter that looks like, okay, Cody Bellinger, you can see, uh, looks good. Looks good in the batting cage. Who knows if it's anything, but like just that notion of there's a chance that you'll get 80%, 90% of a, of a former MVP candidate if he figures it out, change of scenery, and it's $17.5 million for one year. And I mentioned Greg Holland and said, look, if you think this is a bad deal or a, a risky deal for the Cubs, the Cardinals once gave $14 million to Greg Holland to basically hinder their chances to win games for half of a season because he was terrible, and then they cut him $14 million later. So, like, what's the big deal with $17.5 million? And that was five years ago or whatever it was. $17.5 million for the Cubs. If they don't, if it doesn't work out, okay, so the Ricketts' grandchildren have a little bit less in their trust fund. That's the Frank Cusimano joke when he always says, I'm not worried about the Bill DeWitt family grandchildren and what their trust funds look like. Go sign the biggest and best available player in free agency. Let's see the Cardinals win some games. Like that, that makes sense. So this is the Cubs' perspective on that. There's no risk associated with the Cody Bellinger signing. There's just not. It's a one-year deal. It's not good. Like, the Cardinals gave $14 million to Greg Holland. He was awful, and yet the franchise did not cease to exist. The world continued to turn. And the same will happen to the Cubs if Cody Bellinger stinks again. He'll probably still be a good defender. He has been a solid defensive outfielder. And if he can't hit, well, they already know what that's like. They've been paying Jason Hayward for however many years. So it just kind of is what it is. But there's the other side of that where you go, oh, maybe we get 80%, 85% of an MVP because he figures it out again. Maybe we get 100% of an MVP. Who knows? But I thought I think those are the kinds of moves. Like, you have to be able to beat the market. you got to find the market inefficiencies, and it changes over time what the market values, and then you as an organization have to decide what, what should we be valuing that the market is sort of missing on and where do we fit into that mixture. In free agency, the Cardinals have consistently failed at this for whatever reason. Now, they profess that it's because – you know, they they just, they don't have good luck with, pre I shouldn't say they profess. Let me rephrase this. Like, it feels as though their argument would be, like, we prefer to execute in the trade market because we've done better with that, Goldie, Arenado, et cetera. We as the Cardinals have not done as well in the free agent market, so maybe that's why we're hesitant to delve into those waters. But that doesn't present the whole picture. Like, the Cardinals have been rough in free agency, in my opinion, because they're not targeting the right kinds of players. They're looking at 
what they'd like to get, and then they shop two rungs lower on the ladder, and they sign that guy, and then they're, I don't know that they're surprised, but then they're like, well, it didn't work out. That's a bummer. But it's always like they're settling. They're settling because they're not willing to do what I think you have to do, what the market is dictating that you have to do in 2022, which is shop on the top shelf and get top shelf talent. You get what you pay for is sort of the adage that's going on right now, and you might have to pay the guy for additional years, more th- more so than you even want to do. Trey Turner, 11 years instead of what the common man would consider reasonable, seven, eight, nine, whatever years. No, they're adding more years to that because the players have the leverage when they are elite special talents like Trey Turner is, like Bryce Harper is. He got a 13-year deal. Nobody's batting an eye over that deal because he's elite, and you're seeing it play out, and he gets the Phillies to the World Series. Like, that is the way to go. The way not to go is to settle and say, well, we're willing to spend some money, but we're not willing to spend the most money to get the best player. And the Cardinals will say, well, you got to convince, and I've seen this reported and stuff, so this is stuff that I, I think the Cardinals feel, where the Cardinals would say, well, you you can't force somebody to sign with you. Well, no, but offer the most money and see what happens. If you're getting constantly shunned at that point, so be it. But I don't think that's often been the case. Like, it wasn't that with Giancarlo Stanton. Like, they that, that was a contract that already existed, and he didn't want to play here. But you can't just say, and that was for a trade, by the way, not for agency. But, like, you can't just use it as a blanket rule to say, well, you know, you got to convince people to come here. Okay, offer them the most money and then see what happens. Offer Carlos Correa more than anybody else is going to and see what he decides. If he decides to go elsewhere, okay, fine. But I'm not, I think they kind of, the Cardinals can tend to hide behind that a little bit, that notion of, well, you know, it's free agency and the players do have a choice and we're going to have to acknowledge whether the Cardinals are saying this or it's just the the industry saying it on their behalf, which is, well, the Cardinals are in middle America. A lot of players might prefer to play on the coast. They want to go west coast. They want to go east coast. You know, Cardinals have some geographic disadvantages they have to overcome. They do so with history. They get them in the door. They get them to agree to stay long term like Matt Holliday like Goldschmidt, like Arenado. That's sort of the cardinal way, and, and it works better in, in trade than free agency. I saw uh, some screenshots surfacing from a, from the Derek Gould chat that, that had a lot of that stuff in there, and Derek does a great job of describing these situations. But, like, that's what almost kind of blows my mind with all of this is if the Cardinals are acknowledging, as I've seen reported, that they don't feel as good about their ability to maximize their resources in free agency – as opposed to the trade market, it sort of blows my mind that we're talking about Wilson Contreras, right? You thought I was not never going to get back to it, but I did. I know we're doing the top five list. The list ranked from five to number one. My uh, opinion on the preferences the Cardinals should have at catcher, and Wilson Contreras is my bottom choice of the five. And you look at the MLB trade rumors prediction, what I think they said four years, $84 million. I saw John Denton said uh, the Card- you know, the Cardinals are, by the way, they're, in deep, I think, with Contreras on this. They've met with him. They're interested. John Denton had reported that the the issue at hand right now is the Cardinals want to go three years, and he wants a fourth year. So that 4 and 84 may not be terribly far off. It's not a super imposing contract. You know, Dexter Fowler and Mike Leake, those guys got like 5 and 80, 5 and 84. And so this isn't all that drastically different from that. But that's my point. Like, the Cardinals have bemoaned those contracts, and they recognize that it did not work out. 
And it's not to say that they're shopping on the lower rung of catcher at this point because Wilson Contreras is the class of the free agent catcher market. He's the best one that's out there. But just because he's a guy that you can spend $80 million on, does that mean that you should? I don't know. 30 years old, caught 70-something games this past year. The bat is not something that I question. OPS of 808 for his career. It was 815 this past year. In four of the last five non-COVID seasons, he had that 60-game season in 2020. Four of the other five, he's hit at least 20 home runs. He's going to be a consistent bat. I don't think he's going to just suddenly fall off the face of the earth offensively. However, is he going to stick at catcher, I think, is the pertinent question here. Because if you sign him to a four-year contract and he catches 70-something games or Maybe that was just the Cubs' way they wanted to handle him and they wanted him to DH 39 games just because, and he could still catch 100 games. Okay, fine. But, like, you're spending that $80 million on a guy that 100 games, 90 games, 80 games, what's it going to be three and four years from now if you go for that four-year contract? And maybe this is where the Cardinals are going to be unwilling to go, but I just feel like eventually all roads lead to that fourth year and, if, if they can't figure it out in the trade market, then that's sort of the way I could see it ending. But is that worthwhile if in years three and four, or even at the beginning of it, he's sort of a halftime DH? Like, how much is he going to catch? Because it's good to have production out of your DH spot, but his production as a catcher is really super valuable because not many catchers are OPSing 800. DH, I mean, yet Albert Pujols OPSing 895. Last year, he was your DH. Cardinals' DHs weren't very productive because of Albert, especially in the second half. Would an 800 OPS, or let's say he gets a little bit lesser as he goes in Wilson Contreras, would a 780, 770 OPS as your you know, halftime DH, clogging up the DH spot to where you can't use some of the other younger players that you want to try out? You can't, Nolan Gorman? Like, is that the way you want to go? I don't necessarily think it's true. Not in my opinion. I don't think you need to have the big bat be the catcher. I think you just need to not have a 552 OPS at catcher, which is what the Cardinals had last year. I don't think you need to combine the notion. Like, this is what it all boils down to me. And and a lot of people disagree with this, and that's fine. But to me, it boils down to this. You don't have to have the impact bat need, which there is one, because your third best hitter retired. You don't need to have that need for an impact bat also fit into the box of, starting catcher because I don't know if Wilson Contreras is going to catch with the frequency and the effectiveness defensively and so on. I don't think he's a bad defensive catcher. I think the veteran presence and his ability to command a pitching staff should be pretty good. He's been at this for a while. You know, Yachty's kind of like was, was a mentor. They had a good relationship from what I understand. So like, I don't really think Contreras could be a bad signing. I think you can look at it and say the opportunity cost is not what you want, what you're giving up in spending this 20 to $25 million a year for the next three, four, five years, whatever it is, I think that is going to severely limit the other moves the Cardinals are going to be able to make this offseason, and I see other things that they need to do. So for me, Wilson Contreras is the bottom of the list. I'll be able to get through the rest of this list more quickly because I will try not to get as sidetracked, but I look at it as I don't, I don't think the Cardinals should spend huge on a free agent catcher because I think they should be spending on a free agent bat that has impact at another position and that you're okay with him being the DH because the bat projects to be a little bit more down the road than Contreras. 
and I, I do have Carlos Correa in mind when I think about that. Is it realistic for the Cardinals to spend on him? No, but only because we just know how they operate. Like, it should be. They should spend on him. That is what they should do. They should sign Carlos Correa and trade for a catcher. That is what that is what they should do. And then we can get into the pitching thing after that. And obviously, you might have your opinions on all this. This is mine, though. I think Correa is the most impactful bat in free agency that isn't Aaron Judge, and you're not getting involved with that. So, go get him. Give him the Trey Turner deal. I think that would be completely reasonable for his age and production and all-around value. I, I trust it enough to go for it. But the Cardinals, historically, they, they don't give out those kinds of contracts in free agency. They, they select their targets very carefully. They trade for them, and then they s- sign them to extensions after they're already in their 30s oftentimes, which to me is almost backwards because it's like if – like, no wonder you're worried about the way the contracts are going to work and, and not be as attractive near the end. You're signing guys that are already, not to say over the hill, like with Paul Goldschmidt, it's panned out fantastically. Is one of the best years of his career this past year at age 34, 35. So, you know, that's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all argument, but generally, like with Leak and Fowler in particular, it's like, yeah, they're in that 30-year-old range where you expect the decline to start now, so let's pay them. But we're going to be okay with that because we're going to pay him a lesser amount than the big mega deals for lengthier contracts that guys are getting seven, eight year deals. And then we feel better about it, but it's like you're limp, you're capping your upside, but it's the way that they have preferred to operate in free agency. And then they wonder why it doesn't work out in free agency. It doesn't, it's not a surprise to me when these contracts don't go great. Wilson Contreras feels that way to me, even though there's no better catcher option out there in free agency, I think he's on the same rung of player caliber as Dexter Fowler. Probably better than Fowler was at the time. But remember, Fowler had just come off that really good season with the Cubs. And so it just depends. You're like, well, that was maybe a career year for Dexter Fowler. But if he just continues to be that guy, then the Cardinals get a good deal for him. It's a good good contract, good salary, good length of time. Everything works out. I remember people were excited. I was excited. I thought it was a reasonable move for the Cardinals to make at the time when they brought him in before the 2017 season. And he was coming off an 840 OPS. So don't say it's not. I mean, it's more than Wilson Contreras was this past year. And and with the Cardinals in 2017, he had an 851 OPS. But then he was 32 years old and he fell off. And for the next few years, he, he was not worth the money. So it is not impossible to make that comparison. I know they're not the same position. Wilson Contreras, Dexter Fowler. Two really, really good players at the time. And Contreras is a really good player. I, I think you're going to see him as more of a halftime DH by the time a contract ends. And you're going, yep, I don't want to lock that into my DH spot because I think you need that flexibility. The Cardinals have talked a lot about wanting that flexibility. So to me, there's a lot of reasons that Contreras doesn't make sense. Not because he's not a good player, but because there's so many other things you could do with the, those resources if you're willing to go that far, if you're willing to go $23 million a year for Contreras, check in on $30 million a year, $32 million a year for Correa because I think that has the capacity to change your lineup in a more significant way and make you the, the true contender you want to be. And then you can still address catcher in another way. One such way, if the Cardinals really wanted to keep spending some money, would be my number four guy on the list, Christian Vasquez, that would be the other free agent option that I would support. I don't think he's going to cost a ton. He's going to be a shorter-term deal than Contreras, you would think, because he's a couple of years older. But Christian Vasquez, 
spent his entire career with Boston and then joined the Reds, uh, pardon me, joined the Astros ahead of the deadline and then won a World Series with him. I don't think he was super thrilled to be traded when it happened, but it worked out for him. But Christian Vasquez uh, gets rave reviews for the way he handles pitching staff. His defensive run saved this past season was plus 11, tied for fourth in the majors among catchers in defensive run saved, is a plus 55 for his career. So you know that you're getting a good defensive catcher there, whereas with Contreras, I've got some questions. But I think Vasquez is a very good defensive catcher. And remember, what do you need out of the catcher position offensively? Just more than you had last year. 550 OPS this past season. Vasquez was a 714 OPS. For his career, he's 695. I think if you get a 700 OPS out of a guy like Christian Vasquez for something in the neighborhood of the MLB trade rumors prediction for his contract, which is three years, $27 million, I think that's a win. I think that's perfectly fine. I have told everybody that I think Andrew Kisner still deserves a shot to be a part-time player, 50, 60, you know, 65, however many starts. Let's see what he can do. Give him one more shot. And if it doesn't work out, you can you can move on from him. And by 2024, Herrera, the catching prospect that showed up last year, he wasn't ready. Cardinals knew it. And so they're, they're going to have some patience with him. Maybe then, by 2024, he's ready to assume a at least a part-time role in the big leagues. That could be the way that this goes. And I think it lines up pretty well to fit Christian Vasquez into the mix. If you wanted to not hamstring yourself into saying, well, we spent $25 million on Contreras. Now that's kind of it. We can't sign a pitcher. We can't sign a shortstop or an impact bat aside from the catcher position. We're kind of stuck now. And also we've got this roster clog where we've got too many middle infielders for spots. We've got young prospects or guys like Nolan Gorman who aren't prospects, but we don't know exactly where they fit. We just signed a guy who's going to DH half the time, so you can kind of forget about the Gorman playing time being realistic unless there are injuries. Like, all of these things kind of run through your head. And, oh, by the way, you've got like nine pitchers, which I said I was going to get to. I'm already up to a half an hour. I'm on literally number four of this list, so I really do suck at this. But that's sort of the, the, the thought process here of trading for a catcher not only allows you to open yourself up to a different crop of players because there are some better catchers that are on teams that provide you some options that aren't available in free agency. You just got to send some talent to get those guys. And in some cases they will have a lower salary because they're still under team control. They're into arbitration, whatever, but it's not a free agent contract. So you're doing that, but you're also kind of killing two birds with one stone because you have excess players at certain positions. And sometimes you might even want to go out in free agency and sign a guy at that same position, but you can't really feel good about doing it yet because, well, then you've got all these extra players if you sign that guy. If you sign a shortstop now, you've got him playing short, you've got Edmund playing second, then you got Donovan and Gorman, and then Mason Wynn, which, again, does not factor too much into my thought process for 2023, but it's worth keeping him in mind. It's like you've got too many guys now. What are you going to do with those guys? Well, i got to trade one. So I think that's where the Cardinals are with their preference being the trade market because it frees them up to do so much more than just throw 20-something million at a catcher and, and have it be done with that. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals to go the trade route, which is why bottom of my list is Wilson Contreras because it hamstrings the rest of the offseason and it puts Moselock in a position where on these trades that I think they need to make, 
to clear up some of the roster glut that they have at starting pitcher. And you might say they don't have a glut at starting pitcher. They need to add starting pitching. I know, but they've got to clear some of these bodies and you could call it dead weight, whatever you want to call it. But like Dakota Hudson's on the roster. They could just cut him if they wanted to, but they could also try to get something for him. Matthew Libertor is a guy that, I mean, he's a prospect still, I guess, but does he have some cachet where you could maximize him in a trade now, especially if you're getting something you need like a catcher? That would be a move that you make. Nolan Gorman, I think, has a a good future in this game, but like push has to come to shove at some point on what do you what is your plan for this guy? And if you can get more out of him in a trade than you're going to get from him in the lineup because you've got other guys that can fill those roles, then maybe that's the decision that you make. Like Brandon Donovan, I wouldn't be looking to trade him, but does somebody want to give you a good catcher for him? These are things that have got to be looked into. And that's sort of why I think the trade market makes more sense because then you can explore free agency and you've got the financial resources still to do it because you're paying the catcher less. Christian Vasquez has a very similar impact in that you're not paying him a ton, probably 8 $9 million a season. But what he doesn't fix is part of the glut. It's almost a blessing to be able to trade away some of these guys because you have the roster churn and everything fits like a puzzle a little bit more nicely if you're able to do that. So not going to spend a lot more time on the free agents. I've said my piece there, Contreras is my number five choice. I'd go cheaper on Vasquez because I think he gets the job done and then he leaves you the money that you need to go sign an actual impact bat which I don't think, to me, Wilson Contreras is at the DH spot. He would be at the catcher spot if I could trust he's going to stay there, but I don't know how much he's going to actually catch. So that's sort of my concern about hamstringing the roster in that way. And that brings me to the conversation surrounding the trade options, which all three of my top three options are all guys via trade because I think it's the better way to go. And the Cardinals have felt in the past that they've been able to have more luck in this market anyway, so why not? Danny Jansen is number three on the list for me. We're getting into the Toronto Blue Jays guys here with Jansen, who's 27 years old. He was a really good offensive player this past year, over 800 OPS, 855, in fact, a career high, so maybe not sustainable, 15 home runs, only really played half a year, just 63 games behind the plate this past season. Really not something I can fault him for in terms of the workload question because his team, as we know, just had two other really good catchers. And one of them's a prospect, Gabriel Marino, that has been uh, called up. He got a little bit of time in Toronto this past year and is probably ready for the the full time. Maybe splitting the workload with Alejandro Kirk would make sense to trade Danny Jansen because he's a little bit older than Kirk, a little bit less team control. And so that would be a way for Toronto to, to allocate some resources a little bit differently. But here's where I stand on the likelihood here. I don't know that it's super likely because I don't know how well the Cardinals match up with the Blue Jays for this player. I think the perfect trade from the Cardinals side would be Tyler O'Neill for Danny Jansen. I would do it in a heartbeat. And then I would figure out the outfield from there, knowing that Jordan Walker is coming. That's part of the arbitrage. That's part of the way that you clear the glut in one spot, which is not to say that O'Neill is a glut, but he's a guy that you have in a starting spot that you're not super convinced is going to be the guy for that spot. Like, do you know that Tyler O'Neill is going to have a great year? I don't know. I don't even know if he's going to be healthy. I would like to say yes and, and to see it happen because he was great in 2021. But the Cardinals have got to make decisions on different guys, and the trade market is a way to do that. And he's got two years of team control. Danny Jansen has two years of team control. I think it makes a lot of sense from the Cardinals' side. They could then sub in Jordan Walker or sign a free agent bat or trade for Brian Reynolds or whatever they need to do. 
The problem is I don't think the Blue Jays want Tyler O'Neill. They traded away right-handed handing outfielder. I didn't say that right. It is definitely getting late at night, but I'm going to keep that in. They traded away right-handed hitting outfielder Teoscar Hernandez. And so I don't think that they want basically the same version of him in the form of Tyler O'Neill, Like power hitting, right-handed outfielder, corner outfielder, mid-level batting average, gets on base a little bit beyond that, then slugs. Like very similar profiles from Teoscar Hernandez and Tyler O'Neill. So they just traded that guy away. I don't think they want him. So that's where it's like, I don't know for Danny Jansen because they might tell you Lars Dupar, and I've already made clear on the podcast, no, I'm not trading Dupar for Danny Jansen. Not a chance. Nolan Gorman, same thing. I'm not trading a guy with five, six years of team control for a guy with two. And the guy's a catcher who may play half the time. So as much as I think Danny Jansen is the one the Blue Jays should trade of the three that they've got, I don't necessarily think that they're going to match up with the Cardinals on that player. Number two is another Blue Jay. Number two on my list is Alejandro Kirk, the one that the Blue Jays probably shouldn't trade because he's got much more team control. He can't be a free agent until 2027. And, uh, oh, Gary V is his agent. He's with Vayner Sports. I don't know if I realized that. That's kind of cool. Gary Vaynerchuk. But Alejandro Kirk was worth 3.9 wins above replacement this past season, and he was sort of more the Blue Jays' full-time catcher. Like, he got more work behind the plate even than Danny Jansen did. I guess I shouldn't say that. 74 games started compared to like 63. Uh, He did catch more innings, but they pretty well split the work evenly, and then Marino got in there a little bit as well. But Kirk saw some time at DH too. He ended up with a pretty full workload in terms of offensive numbers, 541 plate appearances, a 786 OPS, so lesser than the offensive production last year from Jansen, which I had said was an 855 OPS a 141 OPS plus. Like he was awesome, but only 248 plate appearances. Alejandro Kirk had 14 home runs, fewer home runs than Jansen, but had double the plate appearances. So not as big of a power threat, but very sturdy. 285 hitter, 372 on base, and hit 14 home runs. So only a 14, uh, 415 slug. Not a lot of doubles, just 14, no triples. And a 786 OPS, like, that's pretty good. That's very good, especially from the catcher position. And defensively, Alejandro Kirk uh, getting some glowing reviews. Nine defensive runs saved this past season, which he was negative three in 40 games the year before. And then plus nine in 74 starts this past season. So whether it was just small sample size or then he improved dramatically over the offseason between 21 and 22, whatever the case was, Kirk had a really good year behind the plate. He had a really good year at the plate, and he's not a free agent until 2027. So he'd be great to get. I think he's a really good player. That more is a a fit with Lars Nupar, I would say. The two are more of a fit in terms of value. I don't know that the Blue Jays would make that swap one for one. I don't know. And like I've said, if I'm the Cardinals, I want to hang on to Lars Nupar. Left-handed hitting power, potentially. Kirk is a right-handed batter at the catcher position. I get it. You want power at catcher. You want And Kirk's not a power guy. That's more Jansen. But Kirk is a very good plate discipline guy. I mean, 285, 372 for a, for a batting average and an on-base from a, from a catcher who only struck out 58 times in uh, 541 plate appearances. That's awesome, plate discipline. He actually walked more than he struck out. 63 walks to 58 Ks. 
That's pretty impressive from Kirk this past year. And that was his age 23 season in which he was also an all-star and a silver slugger. So I think he's great. And like there may come a day where I go, yeah, Cardinals, I should have been willing to trade Newt Barr for Kirk. But I'm high on Newt Barr as well. And and I'm not convinced the outfield's in a great spot without Lars Newt Barr. So the Kirk option is number two on the list for me. And realistically, it'd be number one. But it's not number one because I don't think it is a realistic option. I don't think that Toronto's going to trade him. They shouldn't. He's a very cost-controlled catcher who's been awesome defensively, awesome at the plate. They should keep that guy. But if the Cardinals can find a way to get Kirk, especially without giving up Newpar, I'm in on that. I don't know what that would be. I don't know if that's Libertor, Gorman, plus, and I would do Libertor, Gorman, plus for Kirk. I would do. Because I think that Gorman is a little bit of a square peg in terms of the Cardinals roster construction, unless they're just going to let him rip and play some second base and DH and just play every day and see what happens. I don't think they're going to do that with him. So that's why I'm like, well, if you're not going to do that with him, then you're going to protect him for the platoon, whatever, then maybe you trade him. That's not a commentary on what kind of player I think he can be as much as it is the limitations I feel the Cardinals may place upon him and the effectiveness they'll get out of him as a result. So I'm in on Alejandro Kirk, but you guys know I'm not trading Newt Bar. It's a non-starter. And also, I want to see Andrew Kisner on the roster and still getting a chance to play. Like, those are my two guys that I'm standing behind, and time will tell if I'm right or wrong on them, and I am cool with that. But y'all know where I stand. But the reason Alejandro Kirk is not number one on this list is because I don't think he is as realistic as the number one option which is not to say that the number one option is the guy that I think the Cardinals are going to end up getting, but I think I sort of broke the tie between Kirk and this guy, Sean Murphy, because I do think there is a sense of realism because it sounds like he is being traded. With the Blue Jays guys, you just don't really know if either of them are going to be traded or which one. And with Murphy, I guess you don't know for sure that he'll be traded because the the Athletics are kind of playing hardball, saying, yeah, we don't have to trade him. He's got three years of team control. We can wait until the trade deadline and and try to maximize it then if we don't think we're getting the value now. But I broke the tie that way and made Sean Murphy my number one preference here because I think there is some level of realism that if there's a trade made, it's probably for this guy. Murphy, very good defensive catcher, caught over a 1,000 innings this past season for Oakland in 2021. He was a gold glove winner for the Athletics, first of his career, 28 years old now. This past year hit 18 homers, 250 average, 332 on base, and a 426 slug for a 759 OPS. His lifetime OPS is 755, which is pretty solid. And again, from the catcher position, that's a pl- uh, 114 OPS plus. So 14% above league average at his position as an offensive player over the course of his career. That's pretty good. And then the defensive numbers that you get from him, I think would be pretty good as well. Positive defensive runs saved. Uh, declined in defensive runs saved this past year. He was plus 10 in 2021. Just plus one this past season. But I think generally that that kind of wavers and it's a small sample size thing. Year to year, it's kind of difficult. But over the course of a career, the sample builds up and you just sort of recognize who's good. And, and the eyes will tell you and the experts will tell you. And high regarded player in terms of Sean Murphy and his defensive acumen. I think he's a fit there. I think he's a fit in terms of what he could bring at the plate. He's a fit in so much as three years of team control, and then you probably sign him to an extension 
because he's only 28 years old, so you can have him for a while. And uh, people seem to think just the more opportunities he gets, the the more people recognize that he's just really good defensively. And uh, offensively, the proof is sort of in the pudding as well. 3.5 wins above replacement this past year, according to baseball reference. So it's a little bit lower than Alejandro Kirk, but Kirk had a little bit of a, a better offensive season. But generally, I'm in on Sean Murphy, and I think that's the guy to get because I think it's realistic to get him. The question is how? Who do the Oakland Athletics value? Do they value Nolan Gorman? Is that a trade that I that you'd love to make? Is that the reason the Cardinals don't have him already on their roster? Because the A's want Nolan Gorman, and the Cardinals are like, yeah, he's got five or six years of control. I guess it's six because he only played like a partial season. Whatever. I'm not, I don't have time to look it up. I've already gone so long tonight. He's got five years of team control at least. Sean Murphy's only got three. You know, I could see the Cardinals being reluctant there. I would do it. I would do that trade one for one. I'd probably throw a Jake Woodford or something into that trade if you had to add some pitching. Uh, and reportedly from Ken Rosenthal, the Athletics, if they trade Sean Murphy, they don't want prospects. They want major league ready talent or just major league talent. I don't know which that was, but it's kind of the same concept. Like, to me, Matthew Libertor is major league ready. Is he major league talent? I guess technically not because he wasn't always up with the big club last year. But, like, those kinds of names. Nolan Gorman, he's major league talent to me, and he's got a lot of upside. I think that would be the way to allocate resources. And it seems like I'm probably so low on Gorman because I keep trying to float him out in these imaginary trades. It's just because I don't know that the Cardinals are going to fit him in the way that it would make sense to maximize him to keep him. So if you can get Sean Murphy for him, you do that. If you can trade pitching for him, you do that. I don't know if they're into Libertor. Remember the Frankie Montas deal? Reports were saying, yeah, Oakland not really too into Matthew Libertor. So I don't think this time around you're going to be able to float that guy for a different player and have them respond differently if they don't like the guy. So it's possible that that's kind of a non-starter there as well. But maybe you've got other pitching prospects. or you may, like I don't think I want to trade Andre Pallante. That's one of the pitchers that I'd like to see the Cardinals hold on to. But getting Sean Murphy, I think, would unlock the rest of the offseason. And that's why he's my number one target. So it's Contreras 5, Vasquez 4. I prefer Vasquez of the free agent options just because I think you can do more with the rest of your resources in the offseason if you if you went that route. And then it's the trade, guys. Jansen, if the price is right, but I'm not paying. Newt Barr, et cetera. Then Kirk, I would not want to pay Newt Barr, but I would, I would float a lot of other guys to get Alejandro Kirk. That would be a tremendous get. And I think Sean Murphy, more realistic get because the A's seem more open to trading him than I feel like the Blue Jays should be when it comes to their guy, Kirk. So Sean Murphy, that would be the way I would want to see the Cardinals go. He's just turned 28 years old in October. I think he's a really solid player, really good catcher. First year ARB eligible, so he won't have to pay him a ton. And he'll he'll escalate in terms of his contract the next couple of years. Free agent eligible in 27, but they'll extend him if they trade for him. That'd be the guy that I would want to go see the Cardinals get. However, if I had to predict, I think they're going to get Wilson Contreras. That's the way that I expect this to end up going when you look at all the rumblings coming out of San Diego. Jeff Jones, who was out there, tweeted this out earlier tonight. The belief among many folks I've spoken to today in San Diego is that the Cardinals may well find themselves landing in the free agent market for a catcher and that Wilson Contreras is the player they're most likely to land. And so this, to me, says kind of what we've speculated on already. But if I'm just reading tea leaves based on not only Jeff's tweet, but other things we've seen, like John Denton talking about the number of years 
is as close as, the, you know, they're getting to the nitty-gritty on this kind of stuff, it sounds like, if they're that far along. It seems as though the Oakland Athletics maybe want to wait to see a guy like Contreras sign before delving into the Sean Murphy market a little bit more, and the Cardinals are afraid of missing out entirely. And I don't think John Moselock operates at his best when his back is against the wall. You can think back to the times where the Cardinals have made deals that ultimately weren't good ones. And it was always when the Cardinals didn't have time or leverage on their side. Like this is a major, to me, this is the the pinpoint of the entire deal. You look at the going back to say, let's go Mike Leak because that happened first. Cardinals thought they had David Price. They thought they had it lined up. And then the 11th hour, he switches to Boston. He takes their massive offer that they put on the table. Cardinals don't get a chance to counter. That's that. They probably would have, wouldn't have countered anyway, and it wouldn't have been a good deal to do so because he didn't end up being very good over the life of the contract. But what do they do? They settle for Mike Leak. Backs against the wall. We had already said we needed a starting pitcher, and so we thought we had this guy, so now we have to panic and go get Mike Leak because he's there. Flash forward to, I believe, Dexter Fowler came next. That was the offseason that they were very into Adam Eaton. And he ended up going to the Nationals, I believe, from the White Sox in a trade that sent two big-time pitching prospects, Lucas Giolito, I believe was one of them, to Chicago. And it was like, oh, that's what it costs to get an outfielder in in the trade market this offseason? Yep, screw that. We're signing Dexter Fowler. Backs were against the wall. They had said in their postseason, end-of-season press conference that we're getting an outfielder. I believe a center fielder specifically. That was when they were kind of souring on Randall Gritchick. And so they're like, we're getting an outfielder. We're getting a center fielder. They did, but because they made that proclamation, they end up not getting the guy they thought they were going to get because the trade market got way out of whack. And so they went and got Dexter Fowler. Didn't ultimately pan out, but their backs were against the wall. I will compare it to the Marcelo Zuna year as well, which is a deal that did not work out. Sandy Alcantara, Zach Gallen, two big-time pitchers, and even Daniel Castano from that deal has turned into a major leaguer with the Marlins. Both And, and like, Zach Gallen turned into Jazz Chisholm for the Marlins. So that deal just has layers upon layers that it did not go well for the Cardinals because Ozuna was just mediocre for St. Louis. I don't want to hear about how he was the cleanup hitter and those teams made the playoffs. Stop it. It was a bad deal. When they did it, I don't think any of us thought it was a terrible deal because we didn't know that Sandy Alcantara was a Cy Young. We didn't know. If you knew, congrats. I, I'm sorry for saying you didn't know. Whatever. But, like, at the time, the Cardinals wanted to get John Carlos Stanton, right? And then that wasn't going to happen. The Cardinals went very far down that road. They didn't end up getting him, couldn't convince him that he that he wanted to come to St. Louis because he didn't. <laughs> and so they couldn't convince him, and they were supposedly willing to make the trade, which maybe would have involved a lot of the same pieces. Who knows? Because they still ended up doing a deal with the Marlins a couple of days later. But their backs were against the wall because Stanton said no to him. And because the Marlins said we're not trading Christian Yelich. And that was a bluff, and the Cardinals bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And so they got the crummiest of the three outfielders, Marcelo Zuna, and Moselak got played. I Other people might not view it that way. That's how I view it. Because Christian Yelich did get traded later that offseason to the Brewers, and he was the better player. And I know that right now, he's since signed an extension and is not looking very good because he's not been as impactful of a player at the back end of the contract. I get it, but he did win an MVP 
at one point, and he was really, really good. Ozuna never was. So, like, that's the way I view the way that that offseason went down, but it happened because the Cardinals were pretty convinced. And, like, these things are not most fault. It's not most fault that David Price went elsewhere, got an offer, and then they didn't get a chance to, to, to counter. It's not Mo's fault that the trade market got way out of control for Adam Eaton. Like, that was a dumb deal. Granted, it worked out. The Nationals won a World Series. Eaton wasn't, like, the reason for that, but he was on that team, pretty sure. And then it wasn't Mo's fault that John Carlos Stanton didn't want to come to St. Louis. None of those things were his fault. But it turned the Cardinals into a position of they had to go on the defensive and be like, well, we got to do this thing, and so we're going to settle for maybe a deal that's lesser. Like, I think that's pretty much the way those three things went down. At least the way I view it. And now you're into a situation where the Cardinals want a catcher and the world knows it. If you're the Blue Jays, if you're the Oakland Athletics, why wouldn't you just be like, all right, we'll just kind of wait and see because maybe the catcher dominoes and free agency begin to fall and we can maximize on that opportunity from the teams that still need a catcher. But the Cardinals, their backs aren't against the wall yet. And that might be exactly why they signed Wilson Contreras because they never want to get into a situation again where their backs are against the wall. Because if you don't get Contreras, then you're like, well, crap, now we have to go get, you know, one of these catchers in the the trade market. Maybe we'll have to overpay, and and those guys know it. So maybe the Cardinals are trying to avoid that situation. It's kind of a game of chicken. The Cardinals know they're going to get one of these catchers, and if it's the free agent one, Maybe it's an overpay. Maybe it's not. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. But the teams that have the guys that are cost-controlled and they don't need to trade them, they have no reason to do it before Contreras signs. I don't. I, th- I think that's accurate. Unless they're getting a deal that they know is just so good that they're happy to do it. I think Mosellock and company should set the market at catcher by trading for Sean Murphy or one of the Blue Jays guys. That's the way to do it. But I don't get the sense that that's going to be the way it goes. And again, this is not me reporting it. I'm not, a, I'm not in San Diego. But the tea leaves all seem to be pointing in that direction, don't they? And it makes sense, too, because, because it makes sense to see Contreras sign before those trades go down. Because maybe that drives up the price and, and those teams get more leverage because they're like, hey, you still need a catcher and you're not getting that one because the Cardinals signed him or whoever did. That's sort of the way I think that could end up kind of playing out. Uh if I'm the Cardinals, though, and, and that happens, I'm happy to let Contreras sign somewhere because I, like, I don't, it's not that they'll be bidding against themselves, but I just don't know how many teams are going to be falling over themselves to give Contreras the four or five year deal. Maybe I'm wrong, but if I am and it happens, great. Cardinals, go sign Vasquez for three years, 27 or whatever it ends up being if you can't get the trades done. But I would just focus on the trades, and the Cardinals are. I think I think it's pretty clear based on all the stories coming out that they're focused on the Sean Murphy deal with Oakland, and it's just a matter of can they get it done. I would not trade Lars Newpar for Sean Murphy. I just want to make that abundantly clear. And if they do that, then we'll kind of have to wait and see what happens. It probably means Jordan Walker's on the way, and he's on the way soon, which good. He should be regardless. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be a fan of uh, Newpar for Murphy. But I could see if it if it gets done, I could see Newpar being a part of it. I wouldn't love it. I think Cardinals fans in general are going to be on board with it, especially if the Cardinals can then go out and get another outfielder that you feel good about. Um, like Brian Reynolds, man, would be sweet. Brian Reynolds would be awesome. I just don't know if the Cardinals are going to be able to get that that deal done as well, um, especially if they they trade some of these resources for the catcher. So 
It's really interesting. It's fascinating. I think Wilson Contreras is going to be a Cardinal. That's the bottom line. It just feels like there's a lot of smoke here, and it's going to happen later this week. He wants to be in St. Louis, too. So maybe part of this, too, is John Moselock and company saying, hey, all the stuff that Brendan Schaefer said on this podcast, we agree with that if it's a a five-year deal for Contreras, but we might be able to get him for three years because we know he wants to be there. So who's got the leverage? We actually do. Like, for all the stuff that I maybe have said during this podcast that sounded negative about Moselock, guy knows what he's doing. And so maybe that's part of it, too. If they can get him for three years, $72 million, eh, maybe that's a bit of an overpay. Three years, $65 million, whatever. Would you feel okay with it then? I think I'd feel better with it because it's just not as long of a financial commitment and it's not as much money overall. So I'd be okay with it because I think he's going to catch a greater percentage of those games over the next three years than if it were a five-year deal. And he's a good player. Like, don't get me wrong. Wilson Contreras is a very good player. I just can see the Cardinals trading for a catcher or signing one of the lesser free agent catchers, at least having a stopgap at the position, and then go get an impact bat. And even if it's Dansby Swanson, I'm not over the moon about that idea, but I think it's interesting to say, hey, it would be fun to watch that infield. And if you sign to Dansby Swanson, it means you're playing him at short, you're playing Edmund at second, you're probably trading Nolan Gorman for a catcher. Like, this is where it just feels as though, or or Brendan Donovan, because he's a second base type as well, it just feels as though that is the way all of it fits together if you want to go that route. And maybe they don't, and maybe that's why they're signing Contreras. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. By the time you listen to this, I'm almost an hour into this thing. They probably already have signed Contreras. It's probably a Twitter notification that I haven't gotten, and I just said, oh, crap, I missed it. Nope, doesn't look like it's happened yet. So that's kind of where I am. And then I said I was going to wrap up the podcast talking about the pitching thing. Here's the the short version of that so I can get out of here in under an hour. You've got five starting pitchers that are under contract, under control, going to be stationed in the rotation for next year, barring injury. Flaherty, Wainwright, Matz, Montgomery, Michaelis. Four of the five are only under contract for next year. And then Steven Matz is under for several more years because it was a four-year deal. So he's got three years remaining. So like when people say, well, the Cardinals need pitching. I don't disagree because the names I just read off, there are question marks about several of them, if not all of them. Probably not Michaelis. But he's but he's had question marks within the last couple of years prior to 2022. So sure, there are question marks about the, the bulk of these guys. Injury, performance, whatever it might be. And so even though I do see a need for a Carlos Rodon or for a Jose Quintana, for goodness sake. Got to bring that guy back. I don't think the Cardinals can do that until they trade Dakota Hudson, Matthew Libertor, the other guy, Jake Woodford. Forgot Woodford's name. Sorry, Woody. And, like, I don't think that the Cardinals have to trade those guys, but it, just from, like, a roster perspective, they're not all going to be in the bullpen. Like, Woodford can be the bullpen, but they also brought back Chris Stratton. And I feel like Woodford could do the Chris Stratton role maybe just as well, maybe better and cheaper. So, I just can't figure out what they're doing in terms of all of these pieces. It's a glut. Trading some of these pitchers for something they can use, it's like what I do in fantasy football. I want to trade away three guys and get one back because then I have other space to do other things with my roster. I believe that John Moselock and company are thinking this way as well. And it's the difference between this and fantasy football. In fantasy football, every player you get back is on your roster. The Cardinals could get 
a catcher and a prospect back for the four guys from their active roster that they trade away. And the prospect doesn't have to go on the 40-man roster. So you clear space that way, but you still get some additional value besides, say, the catcher that you brought on. And it doesn't have to all be one deal. You can do a two-for-one for a catcher, and then you could trade another pitcher for a, a prospect that doesn't go on the 40. All of this is easier said than done. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's easy because I think the Cardinals have to be operating on all of these fronts at once. And for people who say, well, what does Mike Gersh even do? This is it. He is actively, along with Moselock and the rest of the front office, trying to pull off some of these moves. I promise you, they're in contact with different teams, and they're trying to, to work a lot of different angles at once. And in a perfect world, they get a couple of trades done, a couple of free agents signed over the next three weeks or so, however long they've got before Christmas, because they'll kind of take a break there, and that'd be great. But we also know they like to slow play the market. And we'll see how it works out for them this year. But I think this could be a year where you need to get the jump on the market. Whether it's free agent or trade, it all sort of bleeds into one another in terms of giving the Cardinals the flexibility to do what they want. They've got some financial flexibility. They've got some pieces to trade away because they're they're sort of a glut on the roster. Some guys that they want to trade away have more value than others. But it's all pieces that are very malleable and you can do some stuff with. It's just going to be really interesting to see which domino drops first and how it leads into the next one for the Cardinals because I think each of these moves are going to be interconnected, and that's why it's sort of a waiting game until the first one happens. So this was a little scattered. Most of my podcasts are. I appreciate you guys, though, very much for listening. Let me know what you want to hear from me the rest of this offseason. What should we be covering on B-Shape Daily? Hit me up at B-Shaper12 on Twitter with your comments, questions, or concerns. Thank you guys so much, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.